Welcome to this week's Treasury Career Corner podcast, where I interview treasury professionals about their treasury careers. Each and every week, I talk to them about how they've built their careers, where they are now, where they see both themselves and the treasury profession going to next. Let's get on with the show. This week's show, delighted to be joined by George Terziev, the VP Head of Group Treasury at Hitachi Energy. Now, Hitachi Energy, a global technology company that are advancing sustainable energy future for all. So right at the forefront of everything, ESG, utilities, industry, you know, they're right there. And, you know, later on in the show, George will, you know, give a bit more flavor of that. But basically, they're everywhere. 140 countries headquartered over in Switzerland, employing 38,000 people and business volumes you know, over 10 billion USD. Before we do get into the show, that I'm delighted to say we share quite a few people in common. So George spent many years at Dow. So yeah, Gary, my 100th episode, lovely Gary at Dow. So, you know, he's heard the show a couple of times before, which is great. But as always, I'm going to shut up. I'll let George do the talking. George, take us back to the very beginning, if you would. You started in finance, then you discovered the wonderful world that's treasury. Over to you, sir. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to be part of the podcast. And thank you again for the Pleasure. opportunity. I come from Eastern Europe and I was studying at language high school, emphasizing languages, different languages and sciences. However, that would equip me well for future career opportunities. But what was missing back then as part of planned economies was finance economics. And that developed my hunger to go and study at university and study finance and economics so I can hone or add those skills to, to the language skills and, uh, and science-based math and other science know-how that I had acquired through my high, high school time. And as many things in life, that was the right point of time due to luck, potentially, that after the fall of the Berlin Wall, I was able to study abroad in the West and fulfill my dream to study finance and economics at an international American university, the University of Maryland, which had subsidiary in, in Germany, in, the, in central Germany. It was a great opportunity to pursue. As I mentioned, I was well equipped with the language skills, so no issue integrating into the academic environment of that university. What also helped me was the science-based math type of education I had received helped me place out of, let's say, statistics and math courses and go and dive directly and straight into finance and economics, which was my primary area of interest. What really shapes also future career opportunities there is professors who were coming, had practical experience working back then for the big five, and now there are only big four of them left accounting firms, which could transmit certain practical skills, not only theoretical finance and economic skills. And last but not least, it was truly international environment with 24 nationalities, which at that time, globalization was still in its infancy the stages and a lot of countries in Europe or Western Europe was still fairly homogeneous. So having the ability to in, to work with, study and interface with people from all over the globe helped me develop political and diplomacy skills. Later in my career, I was often told, yeah, you're natural on diplomacy without being political. That really helps develop certain skills and during the professional career. I, I still don't know how I'm doing that, to be natural on diplomacy without being political. But it, it seems it's been working for a with while that, now. With that, did, did that then give you even at that early stage because you're seeing that you know breadth of I love you know one of the great things with doing treasury recruitment is I get to travel the world get to see guys in the US Eastern Europe Nordics and everything else and it's treasuries treasury is all different but it's all a lot of similarities but you get that exposure to all those different viewpoints and did you find that that then thought actually 
that's where you started to maybe get an intrigue about international finance and then treasury or when did, is that when it started? Exactly. I was looking out right after university, after a short stint in IT company setup, looking for a career in finance, treasury in particular, mostly banking and corporate finance with treasuries of different multinational companies. And at that time it happened again, Dow was European headquarters in Frankfurt, Germany. And I was applied there for a job and I was accepted uh, together with other offers from banks, but it seems Dow had the highest bid. So I was not very knowledgeable about who Dow is, or what Dow does, but I said, look, in finance, I learned that a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So I go with the highest bid and I, I didn't regret that ever since. And so talk us through then your, because the great there was, as you and I talked before the show, is you then discovered as you went through that journey, you started to move into treasury later on, but through project finance and things. As you say, you didn't know what Dow was, but you walk in the door, you start to get to know that company and you know a lot of the people we talk to go in similar journey and then they start to not only oh we start to get to know the company but oh treasury oh that's where it came how did it start to develop for you what was the career path there right the career path was again at the right time entering treasury of large multinational company was very international so that suited well my background and education background which I mentioned before in addition at that time there was focus on investment from in former Eastern Europe so there was a large multi-billion Deutsche Mark at that time investments in acquiring production facilities in Eastern Europe. So I dived directly into the treasury function, trying to find a fund to those transactions, which at an early stage of my career helped me develop some corporate finance skills and other know-how. In addition, that was more of a, let's say, Eastern Europe or Central and Eastern Europe headquarter away from the headquarters in the US. But that helps develop the breath because in addition to the true treasury functional responsibilities as financial planning, corporate finance, risk management also, and cash management and operations was fairly decentralized at that time. The regional experience also gives you much more breadth and reach into other finance functions, controllers, businesses, especially working on such large investments in, in, form, in form Eastern Germany. And that drew also attention of uh, top and executive manager management, which also helps develop exposure, breadth and depth in the treasury know-how. And so talk us through the steps you made, because again, you did 22 years with Dow and you've quickly zoomed through those, but you started within financial planning and then well financial operations but then sort of planning and then when did you start to really get your treasury or was it sort of a natural evolution from financial risk into treasury how did it work sort of thing right well typically in treasury you may start at treasury operations financial planning so it was a natural evolution as I said with a bit of more breadth than, than normal given the original exposure and big investments focus at that time but probably where it picks up was when I moved then from Germany to Switzerland to the EMEA headquarters of the company into financial planning and funding. That really gives a much better insight into the internal funding and operations of the company and also the external capital markets, which I think is key for developing a treasury expertise going forward. So probably really at that time, I really dived into a deeper treasury experience going forward. And it seems those 22 years passed by in a flash uh, ever since. And with that, it didn't. I mean, it was 22 years. So did you have a, a driving ambition, you know, throughout that time? I was talking to the treasurer of Puma and he'd been 12 years when he, he got there and it was a bit weird for him when he first arrived. He'd come out banking, lovely guy, Frank, and he just said, Mike, they were wanting me to be the custodian of cash. Obviously, Dow was quite different and stuff, but he was going to be the first treasury person. And he walked in and said, look, there are many 
ways with the greatest respect. I don't want to be the custodian. That's already not, you know, he said, I want to be the future person for it and things. But you went into Dow. Dow was quite, you know, as we heard from way back when in episode 100, Dow was very advanced with his treasury. What was treasury like for you there? Well, Dow, you're right, probably at the time was at the forefront of a treasury centralization and optimizing treasury processes. That also created a lot of opportunities. As I said, the initially focused on financial planning, funding, exposure management, but then I had the opportunity to go into M&A, into corporate finance and project finance, into risk management and experience really the whole suite of treasury. But my goal was always be best or try to be the one of the best in the area you work with to develop the depth, but also try to develop the breadth through cross-functional or within treasury and cross-functional exposure, which helps a lot then in your career. In that respect, also supported investor relations for Europe, some strategic planning development, and most recently ESG and inclusion and diversity initiatives for finance, which helps really complete your treasury profile, not only with the specialized treasury functions, but also with broad cross-functional experience. When you get into Dow, I mean, we had Philip Sass from Unilever on the show. You know, it was an interesting thing for him because not, not dissimilar to you, he'd actually been joined in finance, did his rotations, went into treasury, then went out of treasury and actually then got dragged kicking and screaming back into it in a good way. No, I'm joking aside. Um, but what he discovered was the way that treasury could offer value out to the business. But also when he came back into treasury, he was sort of helping the people inside that had been quite internally treasury focused to actually focus on the business, very external and trying to help and relationship manage and be very, although they're working internally, but externally, not external to the company, but focusing on each of the different parts. Now, again, simply down massive group. What's the ethos of Treasury there at Dow? And because it's been a long time since I spoke to Gary, 80, 80 odd episodes ago. From your perspective, what was it like? Right. Well, the ethos without Treasury was really having the best competencies and being the forefront of Treasury know-how and technology development at the time. That, of course, triggered a lot of specialization. As you mentioned, the Treasury skills were very much valued outside of Treasury, also within business finance at the time, M&A, investor relations. So a lot of Treasury professionals had opportunities also to experience certain functions outside of Treasury. And the really distinguishing factor there is that Treasury professionals bring for example, value at risk concepts, which are very helpful in investor setup. Also, deeper know-how of currency and interest rates risk, which also helps, let's say, strategic planning, other large project investments. That brings the inside-outside focus and value treasury, which I think is all that trend is also becoming more prominent now when CFOs and companies, especially during the pandemic, focus on liquidity management, risk management. That's where really, really where the treasury function can add value to the executive level and board uh, room. In good times, sometimes, yeah, there is complacency, liquidity is there, so it's more on the investment side where, where the treasury professionals can, can contribute a lot. And that was not an exception in Dow, as you know, had a big pension plan, 10 billion or 20 billion plus, I think uh, Gary was referring to in his last broadcast. So there, again, treasury professionals were on the forefront of the investment strategy for the company. So really, treasury provides deep knowledge and know-how in investment management, in risk management, that's very valid by other functions. But nevertheless, you're 
also completely right. The outside in focus, we shouldn't forget to when you come back into treasury from other exposures, then you bring a lot of other experience that maybe breaks the silo or lead the specialization within treasury. For example, MA is a great school for, for negotiations and dealing with large transactions. Also, there you get exposure to, let's say, best in class bank MA professionals or lawyers that teaches you a lot. Risk management, on the other hand, within treasury teaches you how to trade currencies on interest rates or make decisions with little information and see the result of that decision fairly shortly after. So you really have to be able to stomach that risk. And Daud at that time and still is a great school because there is a proprietary trading within Treasury still permitted to a certain a certain level. So that also teaches that ability investment or acumen, Treasury acumen to make quick decisions based on macroeconomic factors or market trends. And then you immediately see the result of your trade, which is a, it's a great experience that contributes to, to the broader decision-making within the company. After 22 years with the group, and I haven't spoken to many treasurers in the past or treasury professionals that have 22 years t- tenure with any group, know that yeah, DAO is a global, so you can move through lots of different functions and areas and everything else. But with yourself, after 22 years, a lot of people move every two or three years and you've got progression all the way through your background, but that was it. Time to change. What happened? And you decided, oh, it's a pandemic. Let, let me make a job change. I know George and I had spoken about this before the show, but you move jobs in a pandemic after 22 years with a global multinational. Talk us through. Right. Well, that was not an easy decision to make, but no. I put it this way, especially given the circumstances, just off the peak of the pandemic times. And it's a difficult decision to make. Again, I think my risk management type of skills helped there to calculate the value at risk and consider the pros and cons of a switch. But really the trigger factor was on one end I had developed a lot of breadth and depth within Dow Treasury and had covered most of the Treasury functions and beyond outside of Treasury so let's say opportunities probably were becoming limited especially within the regional setup looking for what is the, the next opportunity and step probably at, at the wrong time given the, the pandemic let's say the pandemic was one of the fact that the time was right but pandemic maybe slowed down that decision to when that opportunity came across uh, to become the EDP and head of global group Treasury for Hitachi Energy uh, now, which is in a prime market for electrification, and that's the future of uh, sustainability. I, I looked at the opportunity, took a calculated value at risk and jumped uh, on it despite the uh, turmoil times of uh, the pandemic. And I looked beyond that to looking at the future growth opportunity, future development opportunities, and an ability to contribute my breath and depth and know-how I had acquired before. So it was an easy decision to make. It was the right opportunity at the right time, a bit delayed by the pandemic or say impeded by the pandemic. But on the other hand, it was a great decision now looking back a year after. George, tell us maybe about the group. You know, we externally, we see the external view of what the group does. And certainly, as we say, the head of the show, the sort of the forefront of you like of a lot of the current world events and environmental and stuff. Can you give us the breakdown of the group and the company? Hitachi Energy and former Hitachi ABB, that's a joint bank between Hitachi, 80% owner, and uh, ABB, 20% minority shareholder. The main scope work on the main industry of the company is energy or power grids in particular, which is end-to-end electrification, transmission, transformers, uh, high-voltage uh, connectors. And the company is also going further downstream in terms of technology, software development, services, which is a growth market. The whole revenue and top-line growth is really supported by the system. Sustainability in the ESG trends. 
permeating now in, in the global economy and being driven by the global economy. And Hitachi Energy is very well positioned. It's one of the large, has the largest installed base globally. It's very well positioned to ride on this trend with a substantial CAGR growth over time. Renewable energy, solar will be the backbone of the sustainability shift. Hitachi Energy is very well positioned to capture that trend going forward. Of course, with that growth and during that carve out and transition period, there's a lot of demand for, as I said, treasury streamline operations and bring the treasury processes at the best to, be, to become best in class. So that was also a great opportunity to embark on and pursue. Well, some of my guests, some of not dissimilar to you, but you know, you've gone from okay, mega major and everything else and Hitachi is you know, a big global company. It's easy for you, isn't it? You put your feet up in treasury, everyone wants to come to you. You're in an industry which everyone's like, oh yeah, we want to be part of that. Surely your job as treasurer is just easy. Everyone's knocking at your door. That I was talking to Thomas Nider from Kiagen and they do testing, pharmaceutical testing and things like that. So they are like, everybody was like, what was that? You know, like everybody said, yeah, it's nice, but you have to then filter through all those people coming through the door saying, please, please, please. What's it like for you? You've been in amazing corporates, but is it just easy street for you as a treasurer? Nothing uh, nothing comes easy in life. Oh, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's easier said than done, put it that right, way. Right. <laughs> so uh, by no means, obviously great company to be in culture is very collaborative, inclusive, which, which was provides a, it's a great start and makes the integration much easier. Nevertheless, I mentioned in such a growth company or carve out situation, there is, you have to develop and improve treasury processes within a very short period of time where other companies have had decades uh, to evolve and, and develop. So really finance and treasury was probably seen for a window at fast speed and we had to move ahead at that speed and manage to, to become a fully independent entity with the, well, well, with at least established treasury process and procedures, regulations, infrastructure, treasury management systems, insurances, you name it. So there are a lot of building blocks and still a lot of building blocks, but that makes the job a lot of fun and brings motivation to bring it to, to a longer term or medium term vision uh, to become a best in class treasury. So it come, the job comes with a lot of responsibilities and in a very fast paced environment. And if I can ask, and I didn't know I was doing that tongue in cheek about easy street and things like that but with that comes you're in a big corporate environment like you are you've been there before but this is as you say you're sort of starting a lot of the treasury processes i've talked to so many people now 180 plus on the show and things like that you know talk to paul from sabic and we were talking about cash being front middle back office and all the way through and this flows and things like that but where do you start you know is it right where's the cash today what are we going to do with it or is it right where are the risks or what's your priority list is it the people how are we going to do this how do you approach that if you like well you you might be surprised or not but yeah it all starts with people so for me the top two priorities one is trust and competences right so we need to have the people uh, that bring the right uh, competences but competences also can be developed or learned how people have the potential and people who trustworthy and have the integrity to outperform in their role and job so that's really mapping the organization and finding the best people for the role so that's really where it starts the the wider the circle of trust and competency, the more 
efficient uh, the organization is. So it's really the, the building blocks of, of, uh, of treasury. Now, of course, in terms of treasury competences, uh, clearly liquidity is a priority, especially in the current environment. So cash as a corporate asset, cash management and operations, risk management, those are top priorities. But the company also is very active in engineering. It's an engineering company. So there's a lot of trade finance requirements that had need to be needed to be fulfilled, including also risk management and insurance. Risk management was on the top priority of the list. And George, when you were looking at those people and you're looking at a variety of different levels and you talked about assessing, if you like, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, we do this treasury test or we do this or we do that. Or is it much more you're sort of looking at the, the people blend? Because again, I've talked to a number of guests. I said, you know, at the end of the day, you got to this VP head of group treasury role, the 20 odd years. And I've said to you, and you may have had some of this and some coaching on management things, but a lot of treasurers like yourself have, have sort of got there by accident in terms of people. You haven't got there. You planned your career. You've done really well. But what I mean is, you know, I then say to them, right, you're now managing a team of 20 people or whatever. I said, how much management training and things, how much of the assessment of people and things? Oh, no, I've just gained that on the job. Is that something that you've worked on or, you know, how does that work for you? First of all, how do you acquire the people management skills? Obviously, through experience, in addition to, to the treasury competences that you learn in your treasury career, that's more from experience and managing different and diverse and inclusive teams globally so that that's it's a great school for me in particular i mentioned risk management was a great school of learning to make quick decisions based on limited data mna was a great decision of managing global mna projects and negotiations with different counterparties around the globe and learning let's say from the best banking mna professionals or legal professionals and sometimes believe me it's more difficult to manage people that are within the broader team that not directly report to you so managing the whole project team is more difficult than managing a direct report. So that brings a lot of a lot of know-how and experience. And and mentorship, uh, probably wouldn't forget, mentorship is critical. I learned a lot from my mentors in terms of people management, that m and negotiations or uh, corporate finance, say, uh, know-how. But mentorship and exposure also to, to executive management, boardroom, large projects really teaches a lot on how to navigate, manage large and complex metrics organizations. But at the end, it boils down to teamwork. You, you mentioned that it's a collaborative effort and it's a team, teamwork. It's not a matter of individuals. So, as I said, and I think there was a, some videos from Simon Sinek where trust and competence is typically competence you can develop, but trust is is one factor that really it's a teamwork. So you'd probably compromise somewhere to balance trust and competences, but uh, that's a key teamwork and effort. And last but not least, my principle, at least in particular, so I think the Singapore government uses this, is the MPH formula, which is not miles per hour. It stands for meritocracy, meaning find the people that are best suited for, for, for the job in terms of uh, qualifications. Uh, P stands for pragmatism. So we need to be pragmatic, especially in such a fast-paced environment. Uh, maybe the 8020 rule applies. Uh, so really a pragmatism down to earth is really key together with the teamwork. And age stays for honestly or the trust that, that I was saying. Without the integrity, honestly, or trust, the large organization would fail. The wider the circle of trust, the more efficient the organization. Yeah, and I love that MBH. That's really great examples. And so slightly getting a touch on pandemic. You know, we, we mentioned there that you move roles within that, which was 
even is working out. A tough decision to make, as you say. But in terms of business-wise, we've got through that. We're on starting to come out of it, sort of thing. That must reflect for you guys. Where are you seeing things developing now? And to just give a bit of context around that, I was asked recently. They said, "Oh, can you or do help help host an episode about the development of technology throughout the pandemic?" And I was like, "No, no, I can't." And they're like, oh, well, why not? You host that? I said, "No, because I don't think it has." I, don't, I think it's actually treasurers like like George, like yourself, like we're just, you know, just coping, you know, getting through with all the other pressures and everything else. I said, I don't think, in fact, my observation was it wasn't developing. I think there was a lot of stuff coming at you guys having to cope rather than, oh, let's go next. What's next? So, you know, in, as I say, in your terms, you talk us through from then to now, if you would, and what, what what's next for you guys? It's a very good point. And me having lived through different times of my career through three crises or financial crises, crisis, I would call it. It started with the dot-com bubble. It was fairly early in my career, then the financial crisis 2007-8, and now the, the pandemic. I think Treasury, again, is the place that can weather uncertainty, best backstop liquidity, and a contingent funding responsibilities. And that's when then organizations really turn back to Treasury and say, okay, well, what should we do? What's the path forward? And today is not different. As the priority, cash is a corporate asset, liquidity, that, again, was very well emphasized. Now, market is recovering, demand is uh, side is uh, picking up commodities becoming also expensive so again it's a growth opportunity the liquidity or cash remain king yeah. then of course risk management in this environment again it's a, it's a key area of focus because with commodity prices going up then hedges for, for commodities or interest rates or foreign exchange becomes a paramount exposure importance to, to preserve profitability at least within the business for, for on the time of the hedges that's where typically the misconception is you know with large corporates uh, hedging is as a matter of hedging, you have an underlying. So if the hedge makes money, the underlying loses and vice versa. But sometimes the misperception is, yeah, we hedge to make money, right? That's uh, that's probably not always the right focus. But yeah, there is focus on profitability, margin preservation and, and risk management. What you mentioned last but not least, actually stop priorities, digitization, treasury processes. The question is, uh, everybody talks about digitization, but uh, there's differences probably what people mean with that, right? Is it optimizing streamlining processes? Is it really automating processes? or is it disruptive technologies that are coming up. In the Hitachi Energy Treasury, probably another exception, looking to embark on, on in-house bank implementation, which brings a lot of cash centralization and optimizes liquidity and cash management processes. And I hear a lot from the market, and especially consultancy market and SAP advisory, that a lot of corporations are using that opportunity now to embark on digitization, be it single ERP implementations, treasury management system, in-house bank. It's really becoming the trend. For me, beyond that is really what are the disruptive technologies that would, would impact the treasury and finance overall. Yeah. Difficult for me to look at my crystal ball. Of course, you hear cryptocurrencies, blockchain technologies, but that's still to be seen what the impact is. And here from the bank pipeline, there are a number of disruptive technologies that are on the radar screen. So we need to really remain vigilant and see what is really useful to the treasury processes and what we can adopt later on, of course, with a, with a yeah. word of caution in terms of pace and of adoption. And with your role at 
yourself, you've got so number of priorities, but is there anything keeping you up at night? You know, is there anything that you're thinking, you just talked about the, all these technologies, you're talking to the banks and they say, oh yeah, you need to watch out for this or this is happening. Or is, or is there anything out there at the moment that you're thinking, mm, right, that, that's what, again, so some of the listeners out there might be thinking, you know what, yeah, I should maybe be thinking about that. You know, you talked about there, the risk management commodities and things. Is that the biggest thing you think that's sort of in the short to medium term type thing? What keeps me awake is more thinking what will be the disruptive technology <laughs> that will come up, right? And that's more of a, of a guessing game. So it keeps me awake or makes me dream. But really what's the core, let's say maybe focus now is exactly liquidity in-house bank type of setup and risk management that that is or insurance risk management per se. Also, you see an insurance market going to, it's quite tight at present. So those are kind of the most imminent factors that I'm looking at. Amazing. George, we're approaching the end of today's show. You know, everyone used to commute, but now nobody does. It seems every, most people are working from home, depending on where you are. But, you know, we could keep talking for ages about different topics. You know, we spoke before the show and actually before we get right to the end, I know that you do a lot of things with the international school and you're sort of there and sort of the finance committee chair and you do a lot of things like that. You know, I know that you've you, you give of your time and things like that. Why do you think that's so important, would you say, before we sort of get towards the end of the show? Oh, look, Mike, uh, learning is at the heart of everything. I mentioned it many times, learning and competencies. So that's a way to give back to society and learning and child education, children education, probably close to every uh, parent and society. So, and it was a great opportunity to give back to society, the extensive finance and treasury experience that I have and help steer the school's investments in educational facilities, in teachers' compensation models that uh, really drive best-in-class education. And again, looking, that's the cradle of the future generation. And while universities are probably the immediate pool, recruiting pool for large corporates, SAS, Hitachi Energy, really one has to start, as I mentioned earlier when we started our interview, uh, it has to start at the cradle, meaning, let's say, at least a high school type of influence where really shape the knowledge and know-how of those students. And I'm really grateful that I can contribute to that to develop best-in-class learning or develop at the Zurich International School individuals who can very well suited to meet the, the future by individual learning and character development, not only focusing, let's say, on, on pure scientific education, which is also very emphasized. We invested a lot in Zurich International School at Science and Technology, so so-called STEM program, which is being developed. But developing the round of character of student is, is probably the best recipe for success in the future because a lot of the know-how can be acquired later as I mentioned competence is key but that can be learned and, and developed you have to be passionate about it and really supporting individuals in the international schools is it's a great way to give back again through the prism of investment capital investments for new facilities which are just developing new educational programs or teacher development and compensation uh, schemes amazing and I, and I wanted to include that because we talked George and I spoke before the show and I thought it was a, I didn't want to leave without touching on that because I think it's a key and that's a big driver for yourself on a personal level as well so George before we close today's show we'll put your LinkedIn details in the show notes so people can connect to you if it's right to have you know if you want to have them in your network and vice versa what would you leave us with today what are the top tips from a global treasurer like yourself who's got such an amazing career well there was a Swiss saying study with your or study and work with your mind heart and and hands meaning clearly you have to learn all the competencies with your mind follow your passion that's your heart 
and hence meaning try out different things and don't be afraid of failure. I mean, you can learn if you fail, fail quickly, learn from it and, and move on. But that will make you a better professional. If I had to give an advice in the different stages of treasury or finance professional career, probably in the early stages, again, don't shy away from learning to develop the competencies. You need to develop the breadth and depth. I call it a capital T type of letter experience. So develop the depth in, in treasury area that you want to specialize in, but also think about of the broader part of the T, how to, to develop the breath. And that is possible through cross-functional and within treasury, let's say, fertilization. So don't shy away from taking initiatives and helping other projects within treasury and beyond. That will give you a great exposure uh, for your future learning and opportunities. So try to develop the breath. At a certain point of time, also mentorship becomes very important. They're great leaders to any large multinational and other uh, companies. So try to, to get a bit of mentorship and advice and exposure, volunteer, expose yourself, put yourself in the spot and you'll be surprised how many people are willing to, to advise and, and, and help and guide you and mentor you. So that, that's a very good thing, tip for future career development. Mid-career, I would say there, then you have to be more careful. Don't limit yourself, but look at increasing your intrinsic and extrinsic value, right? And so embark on those opportunities that you increase your internal and market value. And nowadays with remote working, there's so many opportunities. Of course, they have to be a bit more careful. Don't branch out too far away, or maybe you could if you can bring the, the treasury competences. But that's really honing your then depth and breadth of experience and let's say reaping the return uh, on investment from the internal and ex- external market opportunities. Again, there, don't shy away from taking responsibility for large international or multinational projects uh, with high executive exposure that really gives you the right attitude connection and experience to, to bring bring it forward. Critical at that stage is networking. So uh, internal and external again, that also drives future career development. Up to a certain point is what you can and beyond that is also what you can, but whom you know to, right? So don't forget the network networking with uh, likewise professionals or other executives. And that should be sufficient springboard and to embark on the right, right opportunity when it comes. So sometimes it's luck, sometimes it's right place. But if you have developed all those skills, it's just a matter of time to uh, jump on the right opportunity, either as a global treasurer or other leadership positions within treasury and beyond. There's a lot of value that uh, which we discussed treasury can bring uh, outside of treasury. Amazing. And that's why if you notice everyone, I shut up for a few minutes because it was lovely to listen to George. Just give me the best summary to take away with you listening to the episode today and amazing value bombs there just like boom 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 and in particular in the networking thing as well you know some treasurers you know I've met then treasury professionals great at networking some they're rubbish at doing it and they need help and everything else so what I would say we've got a number of videos at treasurytv.com and that's where you know George is a great networker you know you can see this and you've got a great network but you know if any of you lot need help and you think you know how do I do this what do I do elevator pitch and all that stuff we've got it on there so go there that's going to help you with your careers why because then you can have a career like Mr. Terzi over here. So, sir, amazing to chat to you. Thanks for your great time today. You've been, been very kind. I look forward to, as you say, networking in the real world one day soon. That'd be lovely. Thank you, Mike. Great opportunity. And yeah, let's keep on networking and adding value to the treasury profession and beyond. Perfect, sir. Thanks very much. Thank you. Hello, it's Mike here again. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you did, then maybe you want to follow the show or subscribe depending on where you listen. 
whether that's iTunes, Spotify, or another great place to listen to the show from. It's totally free and means that you'll be the first to see each and every week when we release a new show. And maybe whilst you're there, you could even leave a quick review. Reviews and ratings are among the most important metrics for a podcast to effectively rank. And as you can probably appreciate, the podcast is a lot of hard work to produce every week. It'd be amazing. Just take, say, 20 seconds, leave a quick review of my amazing guests and their great career stories. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks very much, and I can't wait to see you soon.